thank you. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the worship experience of the Greater Little Zion Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Murphy. We are delighted that you have decided to join us on this celebratory day. And we pray that the music ministry will elevate your soul and the preaching of the word of God will liberate your soul. Be blessed as God speaks a word and sets you free from this day forward in Jesus name. Have a blessed time in worship. Trouble in my way. I have to cry sometimes.
joining family, friends, and guests. Here are our weekly announcements for our Father's Day service. The Missionary Ministry's goal for the school supply drive in August is to give out 100 backpacks. It will be on Thursday, August the 19th for our Zion members and for the community Saturday, August the 21st. The ministry will be purchasing backpacks and we ask for your donations of supplies to fill them. The youth and the young adult ministry will be going bowling on August the 27th at Bowl America Burke, right around the corner from the church. Ages 17 and under will be from 5 to 7 p.m. and our young adults and adults will be from 7 to 9 p.m. We will also be having a weekly prayer meeting on Wednesday at 6 p.m. and a virtual adult Bible study Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Of course, make sure to join us every weekend for our Sunday school sessions. Our virtual youth and young adult Sunday schools are Saturdays at 10 a.m. and our adult virtual Sunday school is Sundays at 8.30 a.m. Well, now we would like to wish our fathers a happy Father's Day. And we have a special presentation from four of our members who are fathers, of course. They will be answering just a few questions, but also giving us some wisdom, some love, some light, and also just their experiences of being a father. We thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday, and we hope that you enjoy this presentation. My name is Julian Amaker. I'm the father of Jeremiah Amaker. He is a year and four months. What do I love most about being a dad? Everything. I love the good, I love the bad, I love the nights where he's inconsolable. I love the days where all he wants to do is play. I enjoy all of it. It's not always easy but it's the most satisfying job I've ever had. My favorite memory thus far is when Jeremiah was learning to smile. And the first thing in the morning, I'd pick him up and be like, hey man, and he'll wait, he'll look at my face, he'll study it, and he just gives you the biggest smile. And it just warmed my heart. It fueled me on some days. Like, yeah, I got work to do because I refuse to disappoint this child. But those are precious memories that I hold dear. If I were to have a wish for Jeremiah, it would be that no matter what, shoot for the stars. This world is going to throw everything at you, but no matter what, you keep going, you don't give up, and you shoot for the stars. If you want something, work to go get it, because it's not going to come easy. One piece of advice that I wish I had known becoming a father is that it's okay to not know the answers. It's okay to be a little nervous. It's okay to be scared at times. 
you know, this is your first time. Uh, Brother Ralph Bradley said, uh, having kids is like uh, making pancakes. The goal is to get it, get it even on both sides. Sometimes you get it a little darker, sometimes you get it a little lighter, but you just keep trying, you know. You learn as you go. You learn from your elders. You learn from people who've done it before. You learn from people who've done it a bunch of times. But, you know, it's okay to not know anything as long as you are learning in the process. There's no book on this that gets it just right. So you have to write your own. Be your own author. This child is your book. And you want to fill it full of adventure, full of love, full of smarts, full of joy, full of Christ. Good morning. Um, I have four questions to um, answer regarding about being a father. And the first question is, what do you love about being a father? Um, for me, it has um, always been those, those teaching moments where I can um, teach my children, give them some godly and, and, and good wisdom and advice that will carry them um, in the days ahead. Um, as I as I watch them grow and mature, it's it's always been a blessing for me to just um, be able to be in a position to do that. I realize that there are a lot of situations where um, young men and women don't have a father figure. So for me, it is always those teaching moments, being able to give them some some nuggets and some seeds that I know that they can they can take and, and plan and hope hopefully they will take root later on in their lives. Um, the second question is, what is your favorite memory that you have as being a dad? Um, I have a lot of good memories. Um, one of the ones that I would say that sticks out the most is doing things as a family. Um, I remember my father when, um, after I moved away and then I got married and then whenever we would go home, especially after we have kids, um, he would always want to go out to dinner and always want to do stuff with us together. So it was always important for him as, as being a grandfather and then a father to me to always make sure that we had that time together to quality time. So I've taken that now and I cherish that with my, with my children as well. I enjoy when we um, are able to spend time together, um, Calvin and now Jessica, who's our, our daughter as well, and Kayla, and, and just seeing as they've reached different stages in their lives, because now they are, they've moved on, we're empty nesters now, and, and we see the benefit of, of being able to spend time as a family. And to me, those are just the, the memories that I cherish, and I really love just spending time as, as, as a family together. Um, the third question is, what is one wish that you have for your children? Um, for Calvin and Jessica, um, my wish for them being at the phase they are in their life right now, about to become parents, it is for them to um, take everything that as me as a father and, and Lolita as a mother have um, taught 
and, and, and given to them throughout the years to prepare for uh, parenthood, uh, to prepare to raise um, the, the, the baby and, and, and as she continues to grow and, and mature that she will be raised in a godly home and in a godly environment. And more importantly for Calvin as being a father, for him to live that out and not just um, say, here's what I want you to do. I want him to, I want her to see him as a father who lives out what he's teaching and what he's he's been taught um, all these years. Um, and for Jessica, I know that she's gonna be a great mother. Um, I'm really, really um, looking forward to just seeing how they all are going to grow together. Um, so for me, just seeing that portion for them to grow as new parents to be, I'm very excited about that. And, and I know that they will do well. Um, for Kayla, it's always been um, my hope and prayer that she will, um, when, when, when that certain young man comes into her life that God has chosen, that that is a person who will love her, that will show her the respect that she needs and deserves. And um, when children come along, whenever that may be, I want that person that God has placed in her life to be a better father than I was to my children. And I say that same thing to Calvin, um, that I want him to be a better father than, than I have been. Um, I didn't always get everything right, but I know that, um, that as we continue to grow and as God continues to grow us and mature us, that that, that is my prayer and my wish for them to, to um, to grow and to be better parents than, than, than what we have been able to do and to provide better than, than we have been able to do. Uh, the fourth question is, what is one piece of advice you wish you had when becoming a father? Mm. I wish there was a manual that came along with being a dad, but that was never the case. Um, I would say for me, it was, if someone um, could have just sat me down and, and conveyed the level of responsibility that being a father, the importance of being there for your children, the importance of trying to provide and 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 give them the correct and the right nurturing, the that level of responsibility um, is very, very important. It's monumental. Um, also, just from the standpoint of being a father, the impact that a father has on the lives of his children and just as his, on his family as a whole. I think if someone had just sat down and just kind of really um, had 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 a talk to me about that, um, I saw that in my father, I saw it in my uncles, I saw it in people that I grew up around. So it wasn't like they sat down and had that talk with me. I saw it every day and, and I was blessed to be in a position to where I was always surrounded by um, strong men who I saw when my father, if he was not in my presence at the time, my uncles were just like fathers to me. So I always had that that um, that role model um, to show me what right responsibility um, as a father and, and as a provider is. Um, I always had that in my life and, and, it, and I just tried to convey that to, to my children as well. So for me, it would have been if someone who could have just sat me down and just say, hey, here's what you're really gonna have to deal with is um, when you go into fatherhood. 
um, that that would have been that would have been good. But I think it's better to learn on your own because no two situations are going to be exactly the same. So uh, for me, it, it, that would be um, advice that I would have welcomed. Um, I try to give that advice now to other um, young fathers that are that are coming along, and now to my son who will be a, uh, soon be a father. I, I will. I will set him down and have those discussions with him. And I know that it will be welcomed um, uh, because it, it, it will help later. Hey, church family. I just wanted to say hello and happy Father's Day to all the fathers at uh, Greater Little Zion. Hope all is well. Hope you guys get to enjoy it. Um, <laughs> this is my third year being a father now. So um, I still think I'm get have some things to get used to. But uh, so far, it's been... <laughs> It's been a very fun and interesting ride and more to look forward to, right? Um, I guess what is one thing I love about being a dad? Um, just watching my daughter's mannerisms and expressions. Um, those are always fun to watch. <laughs> um, it's sometimes a reflection also. Um, but I, I just love uh, her growth of her becoming more and more independent it's always fun and interesting to watch um what is my favorite memory that i had that i have about being a dad well um the fact that i'm so uh, a young father um i think uh there is a couple of memories but i think the memory that stands out the most right now is when my daughter was born um when maxine was born you know um I ended up having like 45 minutes probably um, after uh, Maria gave birth to her. Um, I ended up, uh, you know, holding, you know, spending time with her. And in my mind, all I was doing was like singing like all the gospel songs that like came to my came to my mind to her while I was holding her. Um, and also, you know, just saying prayers over over her over her um just because you know uh as we are in a current state of where we're at in this world and in society there's so many things that are changing you know i think one of the main things that i've constantly just especially when she was born was like uh lord just protect her you know help me out when i uh you know make mistakes and hopefully that she she'll see um you know the good that comes out of of being a part of this family and 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 and, and having the friends that we have um and i just i just want her to be able to see those things um and even sometimes when it's not presented well hopefully that she'll have an understanding that you know that her dad did her best <laughs> um uh, the third question was what is the one wish that you have um for your child or children right so i guess um honestly I, I think for maxine and for any any uh kids in the future that maria and i may have right um i would want um them to have a authentic worship i want maxine to have um her own personal relationship um with the lord uh because uh, I think that that is the one significant thing that, that will help her help 
and ground her um, and give her uh, the foundation that she needs so she can build up on. Um, uh, you know, and I don't think it's really a wish. It's it's honestly uh, just uh, a constant prayer of mine. Uh, but it is something that I would want her to take with her um, for the rest of our life. Um, the last question is, uh, what is the one piece of advice you you wish you would have had um, um, when becoming a father? Well, <laughs> um, I guess because of COVID, this is, I guess, uh, I would say have a consistent um, routine um, with your child. Uh, I think because of COVID, I experienced that um, sort of indirectly only because my work schedule had changed like five times um, being out here. Um, but in all of those times, I got to spend a lot more time with, you know, my wife and my daughter um, much more longer than, you know, the average time. Um, so I would definitely say develop a, a routine that allows you to balance out um you know a better uh quality time with your spouse and with your with your children um and i'm still working on that still trying to do the best that i can um with that but overall um that is something that i would share with anyone who who uh who's becoming a new father or even if they're a dad now and they want to make an adjustment with their family life and our personal life, I would definitely say, um, um, be, you know, be consistent, um, with the routine that you know that you can, um, stick with and manage and, and be persistent with the activities and, and the things that you want to do for your loved ones and the people you care about. So hopefully this was, uh, helpful and insightful. Love you all. Um, again, happy father's day to all the fathers out there. Um, and God bless. Bye. First question is, what do you love about being a father? Hmm, I thought about this question. The most thing that I love about being a father is I get an opportunity to share my mistakes and triumphs with my kids and pass it on to them. And I see them growing from, and I had the opportunity to see them grow from little babies, barely can in our hands until adults. And that's good when you can see them grow from where they were and continue to see them grow. And I feel that that's, that's one thing I love because I continue to be blessed by seeing their blessings flow through them. And that's something that I wouldn't, that I wouldn't change for the world, that I was able to be around them to see them grow. Um, what is your favorite memory that you have being in bed? I thought about this and my most favorite thing about remember being a dad is when they first when they were first born and just me and their mom was there to see them and to see that was unbelievable to see them born and to see them crying in in, in the, the mom's head and that's a, that's a memory that's a picture that I would never forget I could I remember when Tara was first born in St. Louis and I saw her in the room and just the feeling you get from knowing that this is our responsibility. And then I remember when Marcus was born, when he when he was born, um, crying. And it's just a, it's just something that you would never forget because 
my our eyes was the first that that they saw, and um, that was I'll never forget that day. Um, what is one wish that you have for your children? My wish for my children is that they grow to be outstanding adults and to have a faith life that they can pass on to someone else and to serve God with a, with a diligence that we've tried to instill in them. You know, that's a wish, and I think that wish will drive everything that they do in their careers and how they treat people and how they walk. I, I always pray for them that that comes true. Uh, sometimes people want to wish for millionaire children. I just want my children to, to grow into being godly, wise children that can pass on and pass on what we've we've tried to pass on to them and, and walk in faith and, and be true to themselves and be true to God. What is one piece of advice you wish you had when, be, when becoming a father? Mm, the one piece of advice I wish I had when I first began, became a father is to always pray with your children and your and, and your wife. And it took me 10 years in my marriage to realize that that was a powerful thing to do. And um, I would advise that of everyone because that's something that we've been able to do with our children years. But when I first started, I wasn't perfect and I didn't know to do those things. And that's that. That's probably the most important thing because I feel like that in that, they can grow, and it's not just on what their dad said, it's what God says to them, and they'll seek that. So, And I pray that that's a wish that they will instill in their marriages and their family and their children. Um, and, and as we pass on, that's something that I pray that they pass on to their children and their children's children, that, you know, in seeking him first in all things, they can succeed as a family, as a father, as a mother, and as children. We would like to give a special thanks to those that were a part of our interviewing sessions for our Father's Day presentation. And we hope that you learned, loved, and listened very closely to all the fathers that we interviewed for this Sunday. A special thanks to Julian Amaker, Ricky Smith, Deacon Anthony Baysmore, and Deacon Calvin Parson. We thank you so much for your contribution. We also wish all of the fathers out there that are watching today a happy Father's Day and pray that you have a blessed, wonderful day and week in the Lord.
Genesis chapter 41, the book of Genesis chapter 41, and we're going to read verses 9 through 16. Today we're going to experience part two of the sermon entitled, A Setback, A Setup for the Comeback. We're still interrogating and examining the life of Joseph, and I'm hoping and praying that you are drawing parallels to his life as well as your own as you recognize all of us experience these moments of setback, but when we take a moment to set back and observe how God actually is using it as a set up, and eventually we walk into the comeback that God has in store for us in every situation. So let's join ourselves together in Genesis chapter 41. And we're going to begin reading at verse 9 and again concluding at verse 16. Here's the word of the Lord. Then the chief cupbaker spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. And when we had a dream on the same night, he and I, each of us, dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. 
Now, a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. Then it came about that just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him, the baker. Then, Joseph, then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon, and when he had shaven himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have, heard, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it, and I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Again, this is part two of the message, a setback, a setup for the comeback. As I stated in the previous sermon, you and I were created to solve a problem. In solving those problems, we are able to experience what I've labeled as seasons of promotion. Although setbacks can be moments of frustration and disappointments, it can lead to the setup to experience what we've witnessed in Joseph's journey repeatedly, recovery. In fact, you and I can testify, I believe, that we have been able in this past 12 to 14 months in the midst of the pandemic which has set us back, yet it has inevitably set us up for how God has helped us recover and as a result we end up coming back every single time it appears that we may not make it. That's what we have witnessed, and that's what you and I witness in our own lives, particularly, though, in the story of Joseph. Every setback he encountered, he likewise kept working in a recovery and in a promotion. Genesis 40 reveals that Joseph is in that setback mode again. But every indication leads me to believe that he's being set up for the comeback. He is about to be elevated from the pit to the palace, from poverty to prosperity, and from as prison chaplain to eventually to become prime minister. Joseph's story is a good place to witness what we call in theology God's providential ways or the providential ways of God. That just simply means that every move in Joseph's life is orchestrated by divine direction. You remember in your reading of the early days of the Joseph story, particularly in chapter 37 and again in chapter 39, there is that repeated phrase, but the Lord was with Joseph. Reminding us that no matter what setback Joseph encountered, God's providential hand was consistently working in the midst of Joseph's setback to set him up to eventually, years later, we'll recognize he's working at a comeback. 
why we keep questioning how God is moving will eventually learn how to not bring that kind of question. And yet now we keep witnessing these moments in Joseph's life and even in our own, what I call blessed assurances. Blessed assurances in both the life of Joseph and ours, assuring us that God is at work in a very strange way. Joseph is prepared to solve the problem of the butler and the baker, and now his gift is about to make room for him on a larger stage. When I think about how God is maneuvering in Joseph's story, I can't help but to recount, to rethink those words of William Copper, who in that very pointed way has given us a few lines that we've remembered, and yet those lines keep protruding out in the story of Joseph. He says, I quote, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfamilable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Can you see that? Can you take a moment to reflect in your own journey how you didn't know, but God was in the background maneuvering. It's almost like God works on the chessboard, moving pieces here and there, all in the name of giving us both recovery as well as promotion that we might experience the comeback. To get Joseph from the pit to the palace, God works mysteriously and God worked mysteriously. Some 12 or 13 long years, depending on what scholar you adopt, Joseph resides in suffering and silence. And rather than God sending him to Princeton to learn, God sends him to prison to learn. He experiences a number of stiff examinations and yet he passes each and every one with flying colors, receiving honors at every step of the way. Only one time can we suggest that Joseph attempted to use his own influence in this entire scenario to change his situation. Remember, he says to the cupbearer, the butler, uh, in the text, you will be restored to your position, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. Do me the kindness of mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this situation. Genesis 40 and 14. Remember he says that. He says, I don't belong here. I've done nothing wrong to deserve to be here and I need to get out of this situation. That's the only time that it may be suggested that Joseph tried to use his own influence. But you can't, you can't indict Joseph for that. You and I would do the same thing if we saw the possibility of being able to use someone else or some situation to help us get out of this dungeon prison situation. We would do likewise. 
But even in his effort to do that, notice again, God mysteriously, as verse 1 of chapter 41 tells us, he mysteriously permits two full years to pass before he does something else providential. The butler's forgetting of Joseph was not a coincidence. God permitted a setback in Pharaoh's life to become a setup for Joseph's comeback. Remember, Pharaoh's dream was the setback. Pharaoh's distress was the setup. And then Pharaoh's deliverance is going to become Joseph's comeback. I want you to keep this in mind in terms of principles. Remember this, that the providential plan of God often involves delays. I want to reemphasize that. The providential plan of God often involves delays. He may not come to answer our prayer immediately. I draw your attention to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John and when Jesus hears about the sickness and eventualized death of Lazarus, when he gets the message from Mary and Martha, the Bible says that he waits two more days before he goes to see about him. The disciples are disturbed. They are wondering why the delay, but Jesus says there's a purpose here so that God can get the glory. You got to remember that when Sarah and Abraham were promised a son, remember that back in Genesis 12, I believe it is, or Genesis 15, remember they were promised a son, but that son didn't come to fruition in the text until Genesis 21, which is 25 years later. Remember, God has delays which is quite interesting. And the prophet Habakkuk, in Habakkuk chapter 1, keeps crying out to God, repeatedly asking the question, how long do I have to keep praying about this matter regarding the Chaldeans? Remember, God may delay your answer to a situation. But also remember that Delayed is not necessarily denied. It's two years later, yes, and if you count it all together, it's probably more like 14 years later, yes, that the butler is restored. Actually, two years that the butler is restored past being in jail with Joseph. He's restored, and God starts the emancipation process for Joseph by moving from his providential ways to what I call God's perfect wisdom. Follow me in the text. In Genesis 41, verses 9 through 13, it says that God employed his perfect wisdom through what we might consider to be the absent-mindedness of the butler or the forgotfulness or forgetfulness of the butler. But that's not how God, I believe, sees it. Remember, somebody else's 
setback has become Joseph's setup for his comeback. That very well might be how God is working in the midst of your context. What you think is a setback, and it very well is, is God setting you up and what you think is someone forgetting about you may be God's way of using what we think is their forgetfulness is actually God setting things up way ahead so that we can experience the comeback. Remember that silent mind of the butler for two years, yet the text says God is working in his perfect Wisdom. Listen again to verse 8, chapter 41. Something is going on. The Bible says that in the meantime, or as most translations say, in the morning after the dream, Pharaoh's spirit is troubled. So he called all the magicians and all the wise men of Egypt but they could not interpret the dream to Pharaoh. Suddenly, God took the butler back to when he was in prison in his mind. He took the butler back to when he was in prison in his mind and verse, verses 9 to 13 says that the butler remembered his dream. He remembered the baker's dream and he remembered that there was a Hebrew in that prison with them who was able to interpret their dreams. You see, the perfect wisdom of God entails two things. In this case, perfect timing and perfect tactics. Here's what we mean by perfect timing. Keep in mind that wonderful line that Paul gives us in Galatians 4 and 4. But in the fullness of time, when it was come. You see, your setback and your setup, but most importantly, your comeback is predicated upon the timing of God in all things. All things work together for the good according to the timing of God. How do I know that? Well, let's listen to the text. The Bible reminds us that Abraham doesn't get Isaac until the right time. Remember I told you 25 years later. Israel is not released from Egypt until the fullness of time, 400 years of slavery and then they're set free. The walls of Jericho don't come down until the fullness of time. Six days walking around the wall and then on the seventh day they walk around seven times and then they are instructed to shout but not until the fullness of time. Israel is not released from 70 years of captivity from the Babylonians until that 70 years is completed. The fullness of time. And Jesus, says Paul, doesn't come to the earth until the fullness of time. Forty and two generations. 
That's because God had Joseph, just as he has you and I, and he has our comeback already determined in his perfect timing. When Pharaoh's life is disturbed by dreams, it was perfect divine timing for God to start the comeback journey for Joseph. How? Solving Pharaoh's problems. Keep this in mind as well. Sometimes you want or you won't come back until the right problem is matched to your solution. I'll say that again. Sometimes you won't, you're not coming back until God matches the right problem to your solution. Remember I said last week, your assignment determines the kind of problems you both observe as well as notice that you need to solve. Case in point, the tailor. The tailor with that observing eye notices the missing button on the suit. Notices the unraveling of the threads on the button. Notice the improper fit of the clothing on you. That's the eye of a tailor. A hairdresser notices the texture of your hair and notices there's something happening at the roots and notice what needs to be done to make the hair healthy again, perhaps as it previously was. The mechanic can listen to the engine and know that something is going wrong and may even be able to identify what's happening even without a mechanical diagnosis. That's important because God is going to match the right problem to your solution because you were made to solve problems and you will not come back until God puts that problem there. Now you might ask, why a problem? Well, remember we never really recognize the providing hand of God until we're placed in situations where we have to trust the favorable will of God. And as a result of that, God is able to orchestrate and strengthen our faith in the process. I want you to keep this in mind as well. Uncommon problem solvers are pursued by uncommon men of greatness. Uncommon problem solvers are pursued by uncommon men of greatness. I want you to listen to this passage in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 29. Here's what it says. If you get a chance, read it in various translations, but listen to what it says in the New Living Translations. Do you see only truly competent workers? Another translation says, do you see any truly competent workers? They serve kings rather than working for the ordinary man or ordinary people. Why? Because they specialize, by God's grace, in dealing with uncommon problems. 
And I'm going to talk more about this next week. But Pharaoh, you got to remember, Pharaoh thought in Egyptian theology that he was a god. And what troubled Pharaoh was that he had a dream. And by being God, the god of thought, T-H-O-T, by being the God of thought, he certainly felt that he should be able to interpret the dream. And when he calls the wise men and the magicians and they are unable to do so, his entire life is thrown into a tailspin. Because what has happened is an uncommon problem. Because normally when he has a problem, he calls his magicians and the wise men and bang, that problem is solved. But here he is with an uncommon problem and he needs an uncommon problem solver. Thus steps in divine providential will to set up Joseph who is an uncommon worker that God is going to use to solve Pharaoh's problem. Now what do I mean by that? Read the stories in the Bible and you can hear it. A typical Pharaoh was not going to seek out the advice of a Joseph. A Naaman who has leprosy is not going to typically seek out the advice of a little young girl who actually tells him how to get healed of his leprosy. Or the king Zedekiah is not typically going to consult a prophet who preaches like Jeremiah and whose preaching reminds him that he has to concede to the invasion of the Babylonians or else he will be destroyed. Those are uncommon problems. And yet God is working in a mysterious way to bring them to the understanding that God wants and God does use uncommon people to solve uncommon problems. Here's another thing I want you to hear, and that is that the problems of others are, the problems others are experiencing often cause them to recognize your value. The problems others are experiencing often cause them to recognize your value. It happened first to the butler and now it's happening to Pharaoh. The butler saw the value of Joseph in the problem of Pharaoh, but he first saw it in himself. And that's all about God's divine timing. So God has not only perfect timing, Watch this. God also has and utilizes perfect tactics. God is a strategist. In Pharaoh's mind, in a sense of a very supernatural doom, a coming disaster compounded by the failure of his own magicians, he awakens out of his dream, says verse 8, with fear and dissatisfaction and delusionment with his experts and made him receptive to whatever Joseph has to say. Yes, it did. And if you wait and allow God to work in the midst of your setback as he's setting you up, persons 
who may have a sense of envy of you will amazingly find a way to make their way to you because their circumstance has so overwhelmed them in terms of frustration that they are now ready to hear what you say. Your word of often telling them you just need to pray about it, you need to trust God, you need to give it to God, you need to turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, they at the moment do not see the value of that, neither the value of you standing there proclaiming such. But when the winds of adversity and the storms of life start raging, it's amazing how folk who either ostracize, criticize, or find some way even to dehumanize the one who's trying to bring wisdom ends up going back to that very well that they tried to destroy. Because God is working in the midst of that. God made Pharaoh responsible to anything that Joseph had to say. The atmosphere was right for Pharaoh to carry everything and you read this text verse 9 through 13 he carries everything to Joseph about what's bothering him what's making his life miserable he carries everything to Joseph and God worked it so God is working behind the scenes and in working behind the scenes he's providing interesting ways what did Pharaoh hear from the butler? Verse 14 says he heard hope because it became the turning point for Pharaoh. It's the very first phase of Joseph's comeback. He was solving the problem, or he did solve the problem of the baker and the butler, and now in this second phase, it's about to kick in as God brings Joseph before Pharaoh to solve his problem, Pharaoh is concerned about his dreams. Pharaoh is confused about his future because of the failure of his magicians. And Pharaoh is overwhelmingly yet convinced that he's got to give Joseph a shot because he needs an answer to his dilemma. And I... I like verse 14. I, I think it's the turning point in the text. Verse 14 says it this way. It says that then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph after he had tried all that he knew he thought was the best. He tried all and discovered it was a failure. And he hurriedly, they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon and when he had shaved himself, he changed his clothes and he came to Pharaoh. I want to highlight the end of verse 14. Because it's a word for us when we are in this set up mode and that God is trying to move us to the comeback state. See, Joseph is a Hebrew man. And by being a Hebrew man, he's in contrast to the Egyptians. Hebrew men wore beards. Egyptian men did not. So in a flash, isn't it interesting? In a flash, Joseph knows that he needs to shave. He needs to clean up. He also needs to sanitize, but he even decides to Egyptianize himself. And I know this is going to be tough for many people, 
but that there comes a time when you need to take on when in Rome you do what the Romans do that's important because remember you want to get out of the prison and you want to experience the comeback and it may be without notice Joseph doesn't compromise anything doesn't compromise his ethics doesn't compromise his ethnicity doesn't compromise his religion but Joseph is making a wise choice let me do what I need to do Pharaoh is calling me let me do what I need to do to get myself together but remember he's not standing alone Yahweh God is standing with Joseph and I like verse 14 because it says something about how Joseph prepared himself for his comeback and it's just one word change one word change I like what Willie Jolly says about change here's what he says unfortunately most people want things to be different in the future but don't want to change in the present let that soak in for a moment want things to be different in the future but don't want to change in the present maybe you are still in the setup mode and even God has opened the comeback door but you can't walk through it because you are determined you are not going to change. See, sometimes the setup is a place where God often renews us, changes us, help address our personal situations, the person that we are. And Joseph knew that there's no way I can go before Pharaoh like a Hebrew so I'm going to take on the image of an Egyptian. Now, now, for those of you who are social critics and who are going to dive into the idea of Joseph giving up his identity, please don't do that. I don't think that's what's happening. Because his setback, is set, it set him up for his comeback and now his gift has made room for him. And as a result of that, he's going to step into his comeback. Ramon Williamson says that change is inevitable, but your response is optional. Change is inevitable, but your response is optional. Here's what he further says. Change is like a supersonic train and you got three choices. Ah, oh, this is exciting, and then I'm done. You got three choices. You can step in front of it and refuse to move and let it run over you, and some people do that. Or you can step back and watch it pass you by. Some people do that. Or you can do like Joseph. You can get on board, ride it, then eventually move to the front and drive it. See, that's what Joseph knows, that his setback was a setup, but his comeback involves getting on 
the train of Pharaoh because he knows eventually I'm going to ride it and then I'm going to drive it. That's what I think Joseph did. I think he's trying to encourage us to get on board, whatever it may be, that you may get to your place of a comeback. So what's the lessons learned in the text? Very simple. Number one, simply wait on God's timing. Wait on God's timing. And might I add, wait on God's tactics. Because when you wait on the Lord, says the psalmist, and be of good courage, he will strengthen your heart. He will not only do that, but direct you as you're moving in each stage of riding on the train to your comeback. Simply wait on God's timing and wait on God's tactics. Secondly, simply keep witnessing for God. When you read verse 8 of chapter 40 and again verse 16 of chapter 41, Joseph is very mindful to tell first the butler and now Pharaoh because Pharaoh, when Joseph comes before him, says, I understand that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph makes it clear. It's not me. Come on, join me in verse 16. Look what he says. Or verse 15, he says, listen, I've had a dream. And then in verse 16, Joseph says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I like the way the Message Bible gives translation of that verse. When Pharaoh indicates to Joseph that he understands he has the answer to the dream and Joseph says no not me but God does God will set Pharaoh's mind at ease not Joseph because he's witnessing for God he's putting all the all of the problems solving all of the solutions in the hand of God and you keep telling those folk who will eventually come for your consultation is not I, but the Christ who lives in me. God is using me to witness for his glory. Then there's a third one, and then I'm done. Simply trust the word of God. See, remember what the Message Bible says? God will give Pharaoh a peace of mind. That's what the word of God does. Says Paul and Isaiah both say that God will give you peace that surpasseth all understanding. The living Bible paraphrase says, I can't do it by myself, says Joseph, but God will tell you what all of this means. I close with the words of Isaiah as well as David in Psalm 37. Psalm 37, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen thy heart. Isaiah 40 and 31 says, they that wait on the Lord 
shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles and run and not be worried, walk and not faint. Why? Because when God is working in the midst of your comeback, I don't need for you to run in front of the train and get ran over by it. I don't want you to step back from the train and let it pass you by. But says God through Joseph, I want you to get on the train and eventualize in the comeback that you are going to eventually drive it because that's what I have designed for you to do. Lord, thank you for the word this morning and we pray in Jesus' name that as we continue to believe by faith that your word will come alive for us. Blessings to those who embrace this word of Genesis 41. And I pray that today their life will never be the same. I also pray that someone would hear the good news, and that is that Jesus saves. And that today their mere profession of faith in the Christ will bring them the liberation that their hearts so the diet. We honor you and praise you and bless your name for all that you are going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is not only the day that the Lord has made, but this is also the day in which God wants to liberate you and transform the condition that you're in. Maybe you are now in that setup stage where God is trying to get you prepared for the comeback. I trust through the enablement of the Holy Spirit that you'll let God speak to you and bring about the change in your journey. Listen, we are always blessed to hear the testimony of those who have been changed by the grace and love of God. So if that happens in your life, you can contact us on our various social platforms that are listed at the end of this service. Please give us a call. Let us know how God is working in the midst of your life. We want also for those of you who listen to us on a weekly basis, if you've never given any kind of support for this ministry, we certainly would appreciate it. We're trying to pour into your life, and we want you to pour into ours as well. And if you become a believer in the kingdom of God and don't have a church home, this place, the Greater Little Zion Baptist Church, would love to be your church home, and I would love to be your pastor. We're looking forward to the great things that God is going to do for you, and always remember, God loves you, and so do I. Have a blessed, wonderful week in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. It's alright to not always understand why. bring to Just have one request.
are excited at this moment. We are here gathered around the sacred altar, the communion table. We invite you to pick up your elements and come and join us in this virtual moment as we come together to break bread as our Lord did along his disciples. The Bible tells us that Jesus had gathered around with his disciples in that upper room. And on that evening, he took bread. And the Bible says he looked unto heaven and gave thanks for it. And then he gave it to his disciples that they may eat and share in that moment of the meal. As Jesus and his disciples did eat together, I invite you, let us eat together as one. Likewise, when they had finished, Jesus took the cup, looked unto heaven, and he not only told the disciples that in that cup was a new covenant, and that word that he shared with them to love one another as he has loved them. But he looked into heaven and gave thanks for it. And then he gave it to his disciples to drink, symbolically that that love would run from heart to heart and breast to breast. As Jesus and his disciples did drink together, let's you and I drink together at this time. And when they finished, they sung a hymn, went out into the Mount of Olives rejoicing, celebrating that they had a chance to commune once again, one with another. As always, it is my privilege, it is our joy that we've had this privilege to break bread together. Let's leave this virtual communion moment excited about participating in communion, but more importantly, looking forward to a great week that God has in store for us. Be blessed as the kingdom of God continues to shine on you. In Jesus' name, amen.